Welcome to Four Seasons of Epic Fantasy. I am Sammy. I am Matello. Leah. I'm Tomas. Tomas? Tomas. Tomas. That's when you that's when your your toes start getting real like diseased. I just threw up in my mouth. Just stop, dude. You were talking about being in love with spiders. Shut up. I went out in love with spiders. I just like little toes. They're adorable. I actually would like to introduce our special guest today. <laughs> our special guest today is my good friend, David Jeffress, who also owns the studio that we're recording in today. I've known David for a long time. He is also one of my players in my D&D group. It's been eight years? Eight years. Wow. Are you a player, <laughs> David? Uh, being sure, of why D&D? not? Of D&D? Yes. 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 Yeah, I actually uh, have my own D&D podcast called Dungeons and Chill. Um, working on Dungeons and, Dungeons and Chill. Yeah, he's also a fellow podcaster. Other than just his Dungeons and Chill, he also does a couple other podcasts. There's one that he does on what's that one called that you do on um, on cosplay? So that one's cosplay stitch and seam. I mostly edit on that. Uh, we just got back from Nondescon. Uh, or NDK, um, and so I, we have like three or four episodes that are come out going to come out with that. My other podcast is Comic Trades Monthly, where every month we talk about a book club in a book club format, and instead of just like Captain America is the coolest, we say <laughs> things like, "This is why Captain America actually needs to be the icon because if he's willing to leave during a political climate that is unsteady, we want to see that growth in a character." So stuff like that. Cool. So intelligent nerdiness. I like to pretend to be. Yes. Yes. That's what I like <laughs> to all? pretend to be. Too. <laughs> so today's episode is going to be about pantsers versus plotters. Um, now, talking about pantsers, I've always said it should be called like de-pantsing, not pantsing, because wouldn't that just be putting your pants on? But I digress. Um, <laughs> what we talk about actually when we say pantsers versus plotters is those people who like to write by the seat of their pants is what it's called. That's where the phrase comes from. Or AKA those who figure out the plot and character development in the story as they're actually writing the story itself. Plotters are people who probably, you know, map it out more first. Maybe they use some templates that are out there, you know, Hero's Journey, three act, four act, five act, seven and a half act. Brandon Sanderson. Brandon Sanderson. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, yes, 20th act. act. And many, many more. We're going to go around and talk about who does what and why. We're going to talk about pros and cons of each, and uh, I'll explain why. I think that the dichotomy is a lie. So, first off, for me, I'm very much a plotter, which means I come up with my plots before I go into writing the scene versus after. What about you guys? I am definitely a plotter. I'm a very meticulous plotter. I outline... My my outlines usually end up being about 30-plus pages, hence they're more of a small novel within themselves. Wow. So, yes, very very much a plotter. Awesome. I am definitely a plotter as well. I cannot write a thing unless I know what I'm going for. I am a pantser. If I have an idea in the back of my head, it's like, all right, let's just, how do we get there? And then I just hit the keyboard over and over again until I get to that end point. With your forehead. (laughs) With my forehead. Sometimes my feet. And his hands. Occasionally. (laughs) Yeah. And, And you know... Every once in a while, you get, like, a word out of that. Sometimes. You know, they say if you put enough monkeys in front of enough typewriters, eventually they'll make the works of Shakespeare. Exactly. Have you never heard this expression before, I've never Leo? heard anybody never heard say that, that before. It has to do with, no. like, a, you know, probability like, yeah. theory and things like that. If you, if you have an infinite number of monkeys... In front of typewriters, eventually they will write the works of Shakespeare. Not cohesively or altogether, but one of them will hit the word the eventually. Mm. 
And then you can just extrapolate all of the words into, you know, which sometimes is exactly what I think Shakespeare probably did for real. Well, I mean, like, if he didn't have a working wand, if he just made it up. Yeah. Well, and if you're speaking in the context of, you know, infinite probability, there's probably one monkey in this infinite field of monkeys that writes down the works of Shakespeare word for word, all in a row. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) To gaze but not a bittersweet. Carl, what are you going on about? Shut up. (laughs) Shut up, I'm typing. All right, Leah, what about you? I, I, dude, <laughs> no, on that note. <laughs> the look she gave me with the monkey noises. Uh, I actually consider myself a pants plotter because I will start off pantsing it because my, my ideas and my stories usually come from one character and then I start building a world around that character, but I do it as I'm writing. So I'll write usually roughly anywhere from one to about four or five pages, or not pages, one, one to four or five chapters and then I stop and say, okay, now where am I going with this character? And then I will map out the rest from there. But um, as a game master, I have to pants it constantly. <laughs> constantly. Constantly. Be- because it doesn't matter what I plan, the players will always do something else. Always. I mean, I had this really big thing, big idea, and this almost dungeon plotted out for the players one time. They walked into this big building, looked around, and went, nope, and walked out. (laughs) And one of them was like, you know, I'm just going to go to the bar and be a stripper for the night so that I can make some money. And that was that. Like, nothing I planned (laughs) happened. So I was like, you know what? I'm not planning. I'm not planning. (laughs) You remember that? Uh, Was this the the Storm uh, Storm Lords That was the Storm Lord archive, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. All right. No, I don't remember this one, but I be- one? I believe it strongly. You don't remember the giant warehouse with the gargoyles in it? Oh, screw that place. I hated that place. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, I had to shove them back in there because I was like, I plotted all of this. I'm not doing it for nothing. It's like those memes you see, like, you've pissed off the DM. <laughs> it's <laughs> like, a mountain. It, it's that a mountain. We, that's alive, yeah. And it has a sword. <laughs> oh, God. I, I threw a mountain that was alive at you guys. Yeah, and then I tamed it. He did. <laughs> and now they built a city on it. <laughs> it's called Terrytown. <laughs> <laughs> but we're getting we're getting off topic. Yes. Yes, we are. Yes. So anyway. talking about not only do players in a and d group do this, but your characters can also do this in a book. Mm-hmm. Yes, um, so th- one thing I want to go into, a couple things I want to go into next, is talking about pros and cons of, of, of pantsing and then pros and cons of, of plotting. And I think uh, what you were talking about with coming up with a character as you're writing the story itself... Um, that's a really great starting point for one of the pros of panting is that it feels more like organic. It feels more natural, more like what's the word I'm looking for? Surprising. This is something that has to do with psychology that I'll that I'll bring up real quick. Is there's this thing called theory of mind, um, which is essentially the ability to imagine the mental mindset of somebody else. Fiction helps a lot with this, but also when you're dealing with real people, we kind of have these like imagined versions of them in our heads. And so when you start writing a book, it's like you're playing hand puppets. Like, hello, my name is Joe, and hello, my name is Laureleth, or something. And I like the, the dichotomy of the average American name and then demon name. <laughs> I was thinking like an elf maiden. But oh, okay. You know, it sounded that, like that a demon sounds name. Like a de- oh, I guess Lilith sounds like Laura. Yeah, it just kind of sounds like mm-hmm. a demon name. Yeah, that, that's, that's her skanky half-sister. Wow. Okay, guys. <laughs> okay. Um, wow, I thought Lilith was a little skanky. Uh, yeah, yeah, I was she, like, who's, who have we been dealing with over here? Yeah. <laughs> anyway. 
in real life with real people, you create the inputs from your day-to-day interactions with them. But with the with a book, you create the interactions, you know, I play in hand puppets, but then after a while, those hand puppets disappear and you have a person in your head. And then all of a sudden that person says, uh, I know you were thinking of making this scene go this way, but I'm going to say no. And I'm going to do this instead. Yeah. Um, so with you two who pants. Um, <laughs> Us two who pants. I just got to stare down. From, from Leah, so uh, <laughs> I apologize for whatever I did. <laughs> well, as our cool. It, it's what you didn't do. Uh, both. It's the dungeon you didn't tame. Both. <laughs> or exactly. all of the people you murdered. Ah, uh, mass genocide with with frost giants. It's not that big of a deal. Mm-hmm. Oh, they're they're just they're just like frosties that can think and walk. <laughs> like they're not real people. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, were you killing the frost giants? Mm-hmm. Or I mean, people with frost giants. They were killing the frost. To go on okay. a side tangent, it's not our fault. They attacked us first. Okay. That's it. So, Leah, tell us about more about, you gave the little intro a second ago <laughs> of coming up with characters and their, and building them as you write the story. Tell me how that process works. It kind of depends on where the character comes from. You know, um, I have a character in my book named Aya. And Aya is a baby shadow. All right. I remember, remember Aya. Aya. She's so, so adorable. That character happened because I went to my sister's house and her her son, who was only about two years old, he, he couldn't say my name very well. And he looked at me and he didn't, at first he was trying to figure out who I was for a moment because I hadn't been over to visit for a while. And he looked at me and then he went over and looked at a photograph on the wall of me. And then he turned around and looked at me and went, oh, Aya, Aya, because he couldn't say Leah. So it was <laughs> Aya. And I'm standing there, I'm looking at him and I'm like, Aya, Aya, and this character just exploded in my head, and I was like, this is a baby shadow, and this is where I need to go with my story, and this is how I can get there, is with Aya as a character, you know, and it just kind of connected all these lines, so, I mean, sometimes it happens like that, and then I'm sitting there with my sister, I was like, um, I, I'm sorry, I know I just got here, but I, I gotta go, or unless you have some paper, but then, you know, with, with my character Amelie, she was a D&D character, and I, that started off with me just writing her backstory, yeah. Nice. Yeah, so, I mean, they it comes from all over the place. But then, you know, you don't always know who your character is, just like you said right away. So it's almost like watching somebody walk through, walk down a street through the fog, and as they get closer, they get more clear, you know? But, but them walking through the fog is the writing process of you getting to know them. And, uh, and like, the way that I see pantsing oftentimes is, like, it's that w- random light post that you see that you're like oh my gosh this is a great idea i'm going to incorporate this and add this in you know for my D campaign it's like i've been struggling with the big bad's motivation because like it makes sense when you're going after the big bad or like why the big bad do- does that thing in your head but to try and explain it sometimes and then you just sit there and like thinking about it walking through that fog and you're like oh it's because he actually needs this ritual to do x y and z in order for him to be able to become a, you know a full god or whatever it is right um so i think with pantsing it's it's just like finding little gems of thoughts and then throwing them in as as they kind of happen yeah you're building the train as it goes <laughs> yeah more or less putting the track in front of the train uh-huh yeah yeah, I also tend to write my my pieces of my story completely out of order. Like I wrote the for the Black Veil, I wrote at least the four the first five chapters and then I wrote the end. And then I wrote 
almost the end. And then I wrote pieces of the middle. And I just wrote all these random scenes in my head, and then they just kind of slammed together like Tetris blocks, you know? And I find myself doing the same thing with one of these news stories that I'm writing. I'm writing it completely out of order because I just do it like one scene at a time, but that's no, not always the next scene. And then I just put them together when I'm done. Wow. I can't do that. I have to be linear. Uh, There's see, no way. I don't my, write my in order. You don't write in order either? No. I used to, mm -hmm. but then my younger sister, who's a pantser, taught me this other way, and I've been writing that way ever since. Because if I know the ending that I want to work up to, it makes mm -hmm. it easier for me to get to that ending. Yeah. That's awesome. What are some of the challenges that come from pantsing? Oh, writing too much. Like, sometimes I'll write, I'll write way too much, and it just goes in all these different directions, and then when I go back and look at it, I'm like, ah... I don't want to get rid of this because it's awesome, but I don't need this, and I don't need that, and I don't need this, and now I have to change all of this because I wrote this later on. You know, like, that's that's one of the drawbacks that I find to it is that I have to go back and retroactively change scenes or delete scenes altogether. Sometimes I find that the, a big problem with pantsing is that your world building can kind of suffer because you might be more focused on the character or, or the moment of what's happening. Whereas, like, if you go to pick up any Brandon Sanderson book, he, you pick out a character and it's got a whole backstory to it, that character, right? Down to, like, why is it that they have green hair? That I feel like sometimes with pantsing, you kind of run into obstacles of, like, but what am I building this world out to be? Right now, it's just about these characters, and that kind of feels fan fiction-like to me. Not, not to diss fan fiction at all, but, yeah, that's where you kind of end up is where you're just... I don't know where I'm going. I don't know the world that I'm in. I know the characters really well, but I don't know the atmosphere that they're in. That's really interesting. Um, so how does that... So you guys have talked about some of the challenges of adding in too much, not adding in enough. So when you've finished, quotation marks, your first draft, um, how do those challenges interact with your further revisions? A lot of... What was I thinking? Where was I going with this? <laughs> like, yeah. I like this moment, and this is a great scene, but this doesn't tie back into anything. Mm -hmm. Because, like, you get so caught yep. up in those characters and their voices and wanting to kind of get them out on paper, and you kind of forget, oh, yeah, they have to go and, like, save the prince now. Mm -hmm. Crap. I get caught up in conversations. I'll start writing a conversation between characters, like a back and forth, and I get caught up in it, and I'll sit there writing and just giggling. I'm like, ah, this is awesome. And then I go back and read it later on, and I was like, you know, that was really funny, but I don't need it. I'm so sad. Yeah, that's always disappointing. I know, because yeah. sometimes I'm like, that's really... I, so I set it aside. I'm like, maybe I can use this conversation somewhere else, you know? And that's one of the nice things about it is that you, you kind of... As a pantser, you also have a folder full of stuff you had to take out but love too much to get rid of. And you realize sometimes with later stories, you can actually turn around and use that material somewhere else. About 1% of it, right? I've used a lot of mine, actually. That's awesome. Just not always in the same story. I was like, you know, if I tweak this a little bit, I could use this in that other story I'm working on. I just take the Hemingway approach, where I take uh, my printout, and I bind it really pretty and whatnot. And I sit on, the, on a boat as we're going out, <laughs> and I drink a little bit of my scotch, and then I just throw it overboard. You don't even have a boat. I don't. You're right. But it wouldn't take me long to, to you know, find somebody who does. So, so this is how you imagine <laughs> you would be doing this. Yes, yes, if I ever actually printed the things that I, I worked on. Wait, Hemingway did that? He would just throw his that's, writing over that's the side his of That's his legit advice, is that on your first book that you ever write, wrap it up, go out to, to go out to sea, have a nice cigar, smoke a little bit, and drink your scotch, and just let the sea have it. A lot of podcasters recommend the same thing as well, of like, episode one, it's done, and it goes straight to the trash. Oh, so they start with episode two? Yeah. 
but it's really episode one to everybody else. Oh, Nobody okay. needs to know that. I see, I see. But that's kind of the thing about any creative craft is that nobody knows what you create until you publish it or share it, mm. right? So you can just, well, I really liked the idea that they were on Mars the entire time, but then it doesn't really end up making any sense. So they've been on Earth this entire time, and that plot, that plot line is just gone. Yeah. So talking about, again, about pantsing... I just feel so funny. Why don't we talk about plotting that. now? Yeah. Oh, I have one more question oh, okay. for pantsing. One more very... Like, why are you picking on the pantsers? Be- because it's Because he's a plotter. He's being prejudiced. Picking on oh. the minority. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Three against two in here. <laughs> Except one of the minority. Of course, one of the minority owns all the equipment. <laughs> We're the 99%. Anyway, sorry. <laughs> what do we want? We don't know. When do we want it? Now. Ask your question, weirdo. I lost it. Oh. <laughs> well, I guess it means we can move on to the plotter part. <laughs> no, it, it was... Uh, here, give me half a second. Okay, no, we'll move on to the plotting the part. The inside of his head is like a pinball machine most of the time. And I'm occasionally noticing. stuff bounces around there and then comes out my mouth, but sometimes it just bounces. Sometimes I think I can hear the jingling. There. Usually when the ball falls down the hole, that's a bad thing. <laughs> my <laughs> mind just went to a strange place. Mine <laughs> did that. too. Right. I was like, well, hmm. <laughs> thank you, David. Okay. So so can I can I ask the plotters is like this is such a broad concept of knowing A to B, right? Where where you're going from, where you're starting from, where you're going to be ending. Like, isn't there moments where you're just like, "Eh, I'm not sure how to get them from C to D or D to E. Like, isn't that kind of where you need a little bit of pantsing? Like, what what do you do in those moments? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, I was just dealing with this last night when I was writing. You know, I finished up one scene and then I was going to the next scene. I was like, it kind of makes the pacing feel off. Mm -hmm. Like, there needs to be... Like, suddenly, that you know, they're traveling and it's daylight, and then it's nighttime and they're having dinner. I was like, okay, well, i got to put something in there. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, there is, a, there is like, you know, some, some pantsing that goes on in there, and those are usually times I struggle with the most, and those are, like, the worst parts of my book <laughs> in the first draft. <laughs> because I am not a pantser. I write too much fluff, and it turns out being terrible. But yeah, there's definitely some pantsing that goes on, you know, as you're trying to connect the scenes. Mm. Um, and then every now and then there'll be, like, this moment that comes up I was like oh I didn't think about that before and so that's, that's actually kind of funny that's gonna make a good scene so I go in and start putting that in so yeah there's there's a little bit of pantsing that that comes and during the outlining process it basically it it is pantsing mm. it's totally pantsing she's sneaking ahead to the end oh no I'm just kidding you're, fu- you're fine <laughs> but yeah um when it when it comes for me when I'm writing a book like I'll outline a lot beforehand but usually when about a quarter of the way through writing the first draft I will go back and update the outline. And then about halfway through, I'll update it again, 75%. I'll update it again. And that final outline is similar to the one I wrote before I started the first draft, but it's not its not the same. Like, mm-hmm. it changes throughout the course of writing it because there's a few things that I discover while I'm writing the book, but then I go back and I update my outline and the rest of it and think of all the implications. And um, it, it's just, do you like planning something first and thinking about it, maybe a bit more technically, and then executing? Or do you like just intuiting it and then going back and fixing it later? That's kind of pantsing and plotting in my head. Yeah. Does that make sense? I think I, think I prefer like going through and then like just 
puking it all out and then going back and fixing it later because otherwise I get stuck on like, so this wasn't super good, so I need to fix it. Ah, it could still be tweaked. Oh, but now it changes this over here. So I prefer like, okay, I'm just going to go and get it all out. Then I'll go back and fix it. Which is funny that you say that because now you're sounding like a pantser. Dang it. Okay. <laughs> well, see, like originally, originally I did, I originally I started as a pantser. And I realized when I was writing my second book that I'm not. Originally, everybody starts as a pantser yeah. because we read books linearly and we experience them one word at a time. And so like when we go to write them for the first time, we're like, oh, yeah, so that makes sense. This is how I write it. Thinking about like heck about like film, like films are not filmed in order, mm -hmm. like not even remotely. It's all about the casting schedule and the location schedule. Yeah. And even when if, like I go to a bookstore and I'm thinking about getting a book, I'll open it up to the middle and read like one chapter in the middle of the book to decide whether or not I want to get there from the beginning. Ooh, that's much better than my mom. She like reads the end. My mom does too. Do like, I she's like, read the end? Am I gonna like the ending? Okay, I will. I'll read the book, and I'm like, Mom. But you already know what happens. The only time I, don't I ever do shop that at bookstores. <laughs> I just borrow books from people who are recommending things. I, know, I always go to the library. I like do audiobooks, so. Yeah. <laughs> Bada bing, bada boom, right? What gets you initially read a book? It's not necessarily. So I have a, I have a question for the, the plotters. Do you ever feel constricted or confined within your plot or within your outline? Do you ever find that you kind of want to go somewhere else, but you feel like you can't or shouldn't because of what you've already plotted? Honestly, no. No? I yes. feel like... Yes. <laughs> why, why don't you go first and then yeah. I'll... Yeah, I'll, okay. I'll go Because I've already talked a lot. So in this group, I've typically just been running along with sharing my fantasy work, mm -hmm. but I have satire that I've been working on for a while that I found was really difficult for me to ever stick to the thing that I plotted. Oh. Hmm. But with fantasy, I find it easier to follow what I've plotted. Why do you think it was more difficult for your comedy than it is for your fantasy? There was a lot more I wanted to explore in the satire, and there's plenty of material for me to explore in the fantasy. Ah. Well, and one thing about, you know, like, satire or comedy is a lot of comedy is, you know, like... It's on the fly. The unexpected. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So it's not... Yeah, it's, so it's like not your gut reaction. You have to come up with something else so that, you know, everyone else's gut reactions are to laugh. So plotting, talking about plotting. Um, no, I don't ever feel constricted because I will, I will change my plot if I come up with a better idea. Mm. Um, I will go a different direction. In fact, the last the book that I just barely finished editing and I'm going to be working on submitting, um, uh, two masters, dinosaurs, and Yay. monks, and all I the fun like stuff. I like that one. It's so good. I need to, I need to get that thing published. But anyway, um, the thing about that one is I wrote the first. I plotted and wrote. I plotted the whole thing, wrote the first half, like, super fast. It was easy. Um, the second half, I literally have, like, four completely wildly different versions of the second half of that book. Magic monks controlling gravity and, like, the bad guys competing with, like, one of the main characters and some tests and stuff. And it was just, it, w it, was, it was all over the place. What I kind of realized is when I focused on the main character and the main character's arc, then the writing the second half became easy. When I was obsessed with bringing across a lot of, like, I had these cool world-building ideas and cool magic system ideas and cool scenes, and oh my gosh, some of those scenes were so awesome. And I chopped them all because they did not serve 
the main story. You gotta kill your darlings. I gotta. Well, I, I like to stuff my darlings in a closet. <laughs> that's that's kind of what we've been hoard, talking about. Hoard your darlings. Yeah. Hoard your darlings, <laughs> and and lie to yourself that you use it later. Actually, one of the books I just finished, I like took one character from one book, a magic system from another book, and anyway, it was that's the best thing I've written. Honestly, I feel more liberated by an outline, personally. Yeah. Why? Back when I first started writing as a pantser, like somehow I magically got through my first book as a pantser and it was great. Then I got through the started working the second one and I was like, oh my gosh, like I have probably about 40,000 extra words that I don't need. So it doesn't leave a lot of book left. <laughs> <laughs> I just kind of found like I was getting bogged down. I didn't know where I was going. So I was like, hey, well, I'll come over, check over here. I'll check over here and check over here. And then I still like didn't know where I was. So when I started finally plotting, then I kind of had a sense of direction. That's when I started really being able to like move forward and knew what was happening. If something happened to come up, I'd be like, great, I'll put it in if I needed to. And if not, I'd just be like, okay, well, once again, I'm going to hoard it, hoard my darling, put it over there somewhere. And if something didn't feel right, I'd be like, okay, well, I guess I'll change that eventually. But I felt a lot more bogged down as a pantser than as a, as a plotter. So no, I, I never felt really constricted by having an outline. Because once again, I could always go back and fix it later. Yeah, huh. I I literally write twice as fast with an outline. Oh, same here. I've done yeah. I've done the math. <laughs> yeah, like I can I can pump out about two thousand words in an hour. If, yeah, with an outline. See, in the last three weeks, I had an idea for a new story, and within like two weeks, I wrote twenty chapters. Seat in my pants, all of it. That's awesome. That's that's amazing. It's all still pretty good. Too. One example <laughs> of an excellent writer who does that is Stephen King. Oh. Excellent. Horror's not my favorite, but... I love horror. I know lots of people who love Stephen King, and there's a few of his books that I've read that I enjoy a lot. I know that he can have some of the, the cons his of pants. His short stories are excellent. Oh, yeah. His short stories are really <laughs> his good. His long stories I can't tend get through them. I can't even to do be it. garbage. Well, yes. <laughs> I wouldn't even say that they're, they're garbage. I think he just... He definitely gets away from himself. Like, I read Cell not too long ago, mm -hmm. and I feel like by the time he gets to the ending of the book, he goes, ah, crap. How do I wrap this all up? It felt very slapdash when he talks about what happens and why everyone's gone zombified, and then the ending is kind of like, okay, well, they're just going to keep trying. Okay, bye. Some of his best <laughs> ones. You're absolutely right, because he has that problem. Oh, my gosh, there's some books where he just rambles because he doesn't know where he's going. That's why I can't stand it. Kind of like stand. Robert I Jordan. Like there's short stories <laughs> I love worth Robert. the quality in all of his stories. I yeah. think Robert Jordan has an Don't say it. excellent okay, say that. way of executing third-person limited point of view. Mm -hmm. Like his prose and his his style is great. His who plotting... I <laughs> Sucks. And <laughs> okay, I don't yeah, maybe a usually. <laughs> like but I the, like it. The first 25% of the book is super intriguing. The last 25% of the book is super intriguing. The middle 50%, you want to shoot everything. Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm listening to one of his audiobooks right now. And honestly, I'm having a hard time getting through the middle part. So I'm like, so, oh my gosh, I know. So I when know. Stephen King's, <laughs> and usually these are his you know shorter works or even his shorter novels, when it works for him, it's because he has he sets up this like super conflict rich situation, mm. and then he rolls it down the hill. Atella, you have a point. Go ahead. I was just gonna throw out there that although I don't respect Stephen King as a writer by much, oh snap! I <laughs> adore his Buick Eight novel. <laughs> oh, I was gonna I'm ask, is car. that a car? <laughs> no, 
his novel. Is that the like, sentient car that kills case. people? Basically. Oh. It's okay. a really good one. Now the episode of Futurama just came to my mind. <laughs> <laughs> and I remember there was a movie that came out that was like a sentient tire with like telekinetic powers that's in love with a girl and murders everyone who talks Rubber. to her. Rubber. <laughs> <laughs> and David knows exactly uh, David knows its name. If you if you like Stephen King but want to execute it a little better, I'd recommend Joe Hill. He wrote the Lock and Key series. It's a graphic novel. Highly, uh, I just can't recommend that one enough. It's fantastically paced, well plotted, um, and you can tell from the ending where it's going. That's awesome. But sorry, just trying to oh no, that's pull away fine. from Stephen King and like highlight. Hey, well there can be some good things to his style. <laughs> yeah, the point that I kind of want to make our last point potentially is in a lot of ways pantsing and plotting are actually kind of the same thing and i'll mm. tell you why that's why i call myself a pants plotter yeah specifically talking to the pantsers when this happens with the plotters too but when you're writing a first draft i'm assuming you guys are aware of the concept of like show don't tell right mm-hmm. oh, yes. you don't say he was sad you say you know you can't have your characters just say how they're feeling that makes me feel angry <laughs> Exactly, and it doesn't make your reader feel what the character's feeling. He was more depressed than he'd ever been in his life. No, no, no. We need to hear about how he's, you know... Okay, I, don't, I won't go into that. I mean, I mean, C.S. Lewis definitely has something like that when um, in The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe where Lucy and Susan, uh-huh. yes. they watch, um, they watch the, the death of Aslan, oh. and there's a moment in the book where he says... There is a time where you are crying at night and you feel like you cannot cry anymore, that there are no more emotions for you to give. That is the exact feeling that these characters give. So, like, it can be done. You're going to make me cry. But it, it, it's, it, it almost would probably be a trope at this point, but I, a trope that I would challenge. Well, the way that the main reason that, like, that type of scene works, and to be honest... I want to get back to the other point, but the main way you get any emotion across in any scene has very little to do with how you write that scene and has almost everything to do with how you set up everything pointing to that mm, scene. Okay. Star Wars movies lately. Anyway. You can leave the studio now, sir. Thank you. <laughs> By the way, I love episode eight. You can stay in the studio now. <laughs> you can stay in the when you're writing your first draft, I'm assuming there's a lot more like telling than there is showing, right? Happens yeah. with plotters too. Yeah. And then as you go through the drafts and like you're you're adding more showing, you're fixing your prose, you're making it more work better. But like when you're first writing your first draft, you you are trying to get the character arcs and emotions and everything across, but you're trying to get the story across. Right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. When I'm writing an outline, I'm just a little bit more on the telly side. When I like I, I tell in an outline. Mm. Julie does X, Billy does Y. They argue about C, resolution, whatever. Next mm. chapter, da 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 da. So, this is why we, we start getting into some people like to use the act of writing the actual narration as a way to figure out plot points. That's what a pl- that's what a pantser is. But everybody starts with, um, I've just got to get the story out, which means it's going to have lots of telling. Like in a lot of ways, when somebody writes an outline, that's that's, what you're doing. that's like that's like a first yeah. draft. Heck, I've written outlines where I actually started writing a scene in the middle of the outline. Mm-hmm. And then one reason that I like you know plotting as well is I don't like figuring out high level scene points while I'm writing the scene. Hmm. So I will spend if like I'll, I'll have an outline written that's usually one sentence or two. But right before I write a scene, I spend about five minutes writing a little bit deeper. This is going to happen. This is going to happen. This is going to happen. So that the, like the, not the 10,000 foot view, but, you know, like the two story view, 
this is how the scene's going to go. Then I write the scene. And so I don't have to decide those things in the moment. I just have to decide on execution. It's just a little bit difference of preference. But all that an outline is, is the tell knob. Like the, the, the tell show spectrum is turned all the way over to tell. Mm. Some people, a lot of pantsers, um, if they're, you know, maybe more patient, they might be way more on the show side. But to be honest, we all have to go back and fix everything anyway. So I, I usually start yeah. with I usually start with major tell. And then, like you said, I'll put scenes in between or like I'll start writing scenes out. But there's a lot of stuff that I have to tell because, you know, we've talked about it before. I don't really have a, a whole lot of feelings. You know, <laughs> that's just part of my personality. I don't feel most things like depression. I have a hard time describing dep- what depression feels like because I don't feel it. I have a hard time sometimes describing what stress feels like and what anxiety feels like and guilt because I don't feel those, you know. I will write, character is guilty, star, star, ask people what guilt feels like, you know, and I'll give myself <laughs> a little note, you know, and then there's even more difficult more difficult aspects like in, in my book, The Black Veil, one character discovers that she, that her life has an expiration date. And I was like, I wonder what that would feel like. And it was really awkward, but I went to, you know, after like writing down, find out what it feels like to know you're going to die. And I was like, how am I going to do that? This is where sometimes you have to give room in your outline, I think, for research, because I had to go and talk to a friend of mine who was dying of cancer. And I had to ask her, what did it feel like to find this out? And that was a weird conversation. Some people like to figure out their plot Mm -hmm. by writing out the actions of the characters. And some people like to figure out their plot by writing bullet. I was observing a a podcast recently when I was out at SpikeCon and it was the I was observing the Writing Excuses podcast and it was really interesting because they 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 basically just had a whole bunch of their or performed a whole bunch of their podcasts you know they just one one after another because they were interviewing a whole bunch of the writers there and one of the most fascinating things I heard there and I'm going to have to find out the names of these ladies because I've got to drop them in our podcast at some point to just like so people know who they are. But the way that they plot is with a room full of Barbie dolls. Huh. Literally, they've got this whole, like, diorama set up, and they've got these dolls, and they'll sit there and play, and they'll they'll record their voices, and they'll play with their dolls together and be like, he sits next to her. They're wearing this, you know? Well, I mean, that's not the weirdest thing oh, I've And I was like, that is genius. Yeah. That's amazing. What a fascinating way to plot. And I can't wait till they, they edit and air that one so that I can link back to that and be like, listen to this podcast. It's the most fascinating plotting idea I've ever heard. If I can add on to that, one of them, so when I had the same question for someone I met once at Fanix. So I was like, how do you go out and like you plot your series out? She goes, well, I think of flowers and I think of each petal on a flower as a, as a point in the story. It didn't make sense to me. I still can't wrap my mind about around it because <laughs> uh-huh. she only talked to me for like a minute before she's like, oh, by the way, I got to go do something else. But You're I like, guess okay, bye. Yeah, but I was like, okay, I guess that makes sense for her. That reminds me of what I have to do, which is I cannot write squat if I do not have a drawing or several of a scene. Well, you're an artist. You're always drawing. So, so that makes sense. I have to draw a scene before I ever write a word. You So you basically storyboard your scenes yes. first. That's a good idea. That's I have several really visuals. Yeah. I have age drawings of each of the characters based on where they are in the story. That's really cool. I have Pinterest boards for that. <laughs> I have that too. I love Pinterest. So I guess that makes brings like up another question. Like, what what do you guys do to? I don't know. What do you guys use for your inspirations and things? My brain. That's good. His <laughs> brain. That's not like your nose or something. Yeah. Uh, sorry, that was a Scott Pilgrim reference. The oblivion within. The oblivion. <laughs> well, like I, I think for for me, when it comes to the the pantsing kind of mentality of like, I'll just be driving home. 
um, and I'll be listening to like a podcast or some music, and then there's a line that jumps out to me. Um, I started this new game called Hellblade, and there's this narrator that um, talks about, you know, what is the point of light other than to remind you of the darkness around you? And I was like, oh, man, that's a great line. Oh, boy. And, like, that just kind of activated this, like, sleeping part of my brain where I was like, oh, I need to I need to add kind of these moments in my story beats that I'm working on right now. How do I how do I convey this without just straight up copying it? Or how can I copy it and still make it feel like it's my own? Because there are some really great moments that you're just like, I really like that line. Oh, that's good. You know, just moments like that. So the ideas are just sparks of inspiration that start a wildfire. Mm-hmm. They cool. come from everywhere. I, I don't really know how to say where my inspiration comes from because it's it's sometimes somebody will just say something running by and it gives me an idea. I was, I was driving out of my neighborhood one time and I saw this girl who just was, was running across the street and she had really long red hair and it was flowing in the wind and it was beautiful and boom, idea, you know? And dreams a lot. I get ideas from dreams too. I've written several books that sprouted from dreams. Hey, that's how my series, well, one of the ways my series started was a dream. That's what my entire series that's is. That's what your entire series is. <laughs> <laughs> it's not dreams. Well, and this is kind of what a, 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 a dream, <laughs> this is kind of what a dream is. is to, uh, my answer earlier was, where do I get my inspiration? I was going to say, an amalgamation of random stimulus. Get Had to go and sell, sound all smart. Uh, my. I know I hate myself. All these Latin words. Goodness. A uh, 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 gathering of random stuff. I I see. <laughs> or pretty pictures in my brain hole. <laughs> your there brain hole. Brain hole. Be 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 good to your your brain cavity. <laughs> oh darn, that sounds too. No, sounds brain too. cave. Brain cave. Brain cave. Oh, okay, I like I the like brain that. cave. I can, get, yeah. I can get behind that brain cave. That sounds like Brainiac's hideout. hideout. You know, you've got the bat cave, the quiver for the the arrow. It's the brain cave the for brain, brain cave. Brain the cave. quiver. Yeah. I just think of you know like ten things I hate about you. And All I've got are comic books. Don't take this from me. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 no. I just, I've just seen ten ten things I hate about you too many times. Stuff. All right. Well, this has been the four seasons of Epic Fantasy. You all have a wonderful day. Thank you for listening. Bye.